All right, Eastside. Man, it's good having you. You can have a seat. Thank you for coming and being with us today. We're thrilled to have you in the house of God. Now, I know about y'all, uh, but during the baby thing up here, uh, man, I went through nostalgia time because I remember the seasons of life. I'm, I remember when uh, those were our kids, and with pride, you, I stood up here, that's my boy, that's my boy. And then we got to the season where it was our grandchildren, okay? That's my granddaughter, that's my grandson. So I sit over there today, and I'm in a new season. Thank you, God, none of them are mine, okay? <laughs> Get to a different season. But man, it's good to see the babies that God has blessed those families with and has blessed our church with. So thanks for being here, man. I got some good stuff I want to share with you today from the Word of God. I fell into a rabbit hole um, the other day, and I got to tell you about it a little bit. I, I, it cost me about an hour of time. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Um, you know, social media and, and the internet, all that stuff is really cool, but man, it can take you in some rabbit holes. So I was thinking about um, what I'm going to share here and what we're going to learn from the Word of God and the fact that this is the weekend that we will have all of our families with babies from last year. So is there a connection between the kids and between uh, what I'm going to talk about? So I'm, I'm kind of filtering through that in my office, and so I, I was trying to think what connection there, and I came across an old video link of um, Art Linkletter's old show, Kids Say the Darndest Things. Now, if you don't know who Art Linkletter is, um, I feel sorry for you, because that was television. I don't know what this stuff is nowadays, but um, basically, it was an older guy uh, by the name of Art Linkletter, and uh, by the way, there's been a lot of trying to redo that show, but nobody was Linkletter but Linkletter. And so this older guy would invite these, uh, these young children. My, my guess is probably between maybe five years old and 10 years old. Am I right? Somewhere around there. And, and they would all sit on, on, on a chairs up on a stage, and Linkletter would ask them questions. And that became a television show. Might sound... If you've never seen it, it might sound really boring, um, but what came out of the mouths of those kids was gold. And so I, I hit that link, and one of those old uh, clips came on, and I couldn't bring it because it was so, you know, so long ago, you could barely see it and stuff, but I, I got into that rabbit hole, and I was there, I'm embarrassed about this, for an hour watching all those things, and some of them... I wrote down because I want to I wanna share them with you. Here, here is one of them. Um, Linkletter asked this little boy, and uh, I imagine he's, I don't know, was four maybe. He said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the kid said, a pilot. And, and Linkletter said, man, that, that's really good. He said, so if you were flying an airplane and all four engines stop, what would you say? And this little kid got real quiet, and he put his head down, and here's what he said. Our Father, who art in heaven, brilliant for a four-year-old to come up with that. He, he asked one, one little girl, he said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said, a movie star. And Linkletter said, wow, what does a day in the life of a movie star look like? And I'm going to quote exactly what she said. 
You wake up in your movie star house, and then you have a movie star breakfast, and then you drive your movie star car to uh, your movie star job, and then you have a movie star dinner, and then you go to bed with another movie star. Uh, what? <laughs> oh, um, that's probably more true than what we want to know. Who's the boss in your house, your mother or father? This little boy said, both. And Linklater said, ah, you must be a diplomat. He said, no, I'm a Catholic Baptist. So I don't know what that is. I thought that was brilliant. Um, this little girl was asked, what is a perfect husband? She said, a man who provides a lot of money and loves horses and will let you have 22 kids and doesn't put up a fight. And he said, so what do you be when, when, you, when you grow up? And she said, a nun. So apparently the man is not out there to do that. And then uh, this was my favorite one. Um, it's terrible, I'm embarrassed about, but it made me laugh the most. So you'll see the quality of preacher you got here. He said, what's your favorite Bible story? And this little girl said, the wine. And Linklater said, what about the wine? And she said, when Jesus turned the water into wine at the wedding. And Linklater act like, you know, you never heard it. He said, how did he do that? And she said, his power. And Linklater said, well, what do you learn from that story? And she said, we learned the more wine there is, the better the wedding is. I don't know what family uh, she's growing up in, but gold answers from these little kids. I love that. So we're, we're on the last week of our study, and I'm going to show you the connection here in a minute, to this idea of finishing is greater than, than uh, starting. And um, man, can I just say this? I did this a little bit last week, but kind of off the notes here. Can I, can I just tell you how pleased I am about how we've responded as a church to this series? Um, the concept has really caught on. And we're going to be done with it after this weekend, but my prayer is that the concept has some sticking power to us, because it's great when we start our walk with the Lord. That is a great, great thing, but God wants you to finish it, okay? He wants you to get to the finish line, the end of the race, not just celebrating the fact that you were at the starting line. Get to the end of the race. And so that's been kind of resonating in our church. I feel really, really good about that. I think God has done a work for some of us thinking about that. I've had a number of people who've told me, I've done the start-finish thing. I've been doing this my whole life and no more. I said, man, that's awesome. That's what it's about. So today we're going we're gonna to wrap this thing up. And I was trying to think of a way that I can word it that would kind of put it in a little nutshell and I brought this for you, and it's a connection to what we did a little bit earlier in our service, is I want you to see that children start, but adults finish. And there's a difference of that. And the Bible talks in those actual terms with children and adults. The Bible presents the Christian life as a long process of growing up. That's how the Bible teaches what, what it's like to walk with Jesus. It's, it's, it's day in and day out of maturing and, and graduating past childhood and entering adulthood. And that's how the Bible kind of presents this, this whole series that we've been looking at 
is children start, and that's a great thing, but adults finish. And so the question that we've, we've tried to wrestle with a little bit is how do you do that? How, how, do you, how do you start it but make sure you get to the end of the line? How, how do you start out as a child spiritually and make sure that you're an adult spiritually? Because only adults will finish. Only adults will finish. And so because of that, we've got to ask our question, well, then, when, how do you make that happen? And I want to kind of show you that today. I want to put you through a little study. It's a really cool study. You're going to be glad that you heard this stuff. And it's where the Bible teaches about how children become adults spiritually so that you can finish. And so how's that happen? Well, I, I want to show you today that the Bible teaches that process in means of how the Holy Spirit works in your life. And so I want to do a real kind of a, kind of a brief uh, synopsis, but one I, I think we're down in the weeds enough that it's going to help some of us, is I, I want you to understand how the Holy Spirit can come into your life and do some things for you that make you an adult. Now, if you've never studied the Holy Spirit, if that concept of the Spirit is a little mystical to you, I want you to basically think of it this way, that the Holy Spirit is the manner in which God will work and move in our lives to draw us into a close relationship with him. Because God wants you connected to him. He wants you to begin that, and he wants you to finish that. So how can I finish? God will utilize what is known as the Holy Spirit to help that happen into your life. And so I want to show you how that happens. And it's going to come eye-opening to a lot of us because you're going to find out that there's things that have happened in your life that you wondered, why did that happen? And the answer is because of what I'm going to show you in a minute. Now, I put something together a while back that really helps me have a good snapshot of how the Holy Spirit will work in people's lives. And I brought it with us, and I want to walk through it a little bit. And I'll put it on one screen here, as you can see. There are certain levels of Holy Spirit connection. These are ways God will work in your life through his spirit. Number one, it's something called impressed by the spirit, and you're gonna know what that is in a minute, and there's probably nobody in the room who hasn't had that happen to you. And once you are impressed by the spirit, the hope is then you become implanted by the spirit. And many of you are implanted by the spirit and you might not have known that, and you'll, you'll find out how that happens uh, today. And then finally, the ultimate challenge is that you are influenced by the Spirit. And so what I want to do is I want to walk you through each one of those so that you can understand the manner in which God will work in your life for the goal of getting us to be adults spiritually. Because what happens to adults? Adults finish. If you're not an adult, you don't finish. So with that in mind, let me jump into this and, and maybe make some sense of it. Let me start with this first one, impressed by the Spirit. What does that mean? When does that happen? Uh, how does God do that in your life? The Bible says that we are all created with a conscience. We all have a conscience inside of us, and God will at times 
poke that conscience of yours. He will poke it. He will impress it. He will do things in your conscience that causes you to think about him or to wonder about him or even to look at him. He may use circumstances in your life. You may come up upon events that happen to you. He may use dreams. He may use different people that speak into your life. God will use whatever he has to. He's not limited by anything. And his challenge, his hope, is that he will touch your conscience, your feelings, and your mind for you to think about him and point your life to him. Now, as a pastor, I have heard more people tell me about those things that happened to them in their life than I could ever begin to talk about. Most people have had these moments, these things that happen, and your conscience turns to God. He's just kind of poking you. He's impressing you. He's gently touching you. He's nudging you. It happens in all kinds of different manners of life. It is the Holy Spirit getting into you. Now listen very carefully to this. When you are impressed by the Holy Spirit, that does not mean you're a follower yet. That does not mean your sins are forgiven. That does not mean that you're heading to heaven. That does not mean that you are now right with God. That's not what that means. That means that God loves you. And love, God is impressing to get you to think about him. Now, it happens in all kinds of different ways. I've, I've seen every imaginable possible way. Um, we're celebrating babies this weekend. That's one of the times it happens for a lot of people. We see it happen here all the time at Eastside. So you're a, you're a new parent, and you're looking at this bundle of joy, and you're walking out of the hospital thinking this is the most awesome thing ever. You don't realize you're not going to sleep for three weeks, but you've got this thing, and you're just moved by it. And there are times in which God will begin to impress in the midst of that so that you feel a strong compulsion that I've got to get this thing right with him. We've got to raise this child right. Happens all the time. And what that is, is the Holy Spirit impressing in your life, getting you to think about him. That is God impressing his spirit upon you. There are times it happens in moments and seasons of great failure. And my life is a train wreck. I have made so many poor choices. I have got to turn this thing around. And when I say those words right there, because our church is a place that God has chosen for some reason to find people who are in ditches and lives messed up. There's going to be so many people who hear that this weekend and say, that was me. I came to an understanding that the road I was on is not the right road to be. And what was happening in the midst of that, when your conscience was flooded with that, Holy Spirit was just impressing upon you, poking you, moving you. Sometimes it happens when you hear a song and you think the lyrics are going to knock you out of your seat. Sometimes it happens when you hear a sermon and you think the sermon's written just for you. Sometimes it happens when you walk into a church for the very first time and you're overcome with the reality that this is my home now. What does all those things mean? It is God impressing his spirit on you. Now I want you to settle with this one here real carefully. 
Because in this room, if you're listening with half your brain right now, you have already identified the times in which God has impressed himself on you through the Holy Spirit. If you know what I'm talking about, say amen. amen. So it's a very common thing. So why does that happen? Because God loves you. Because God wants you. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you've done, what's in your history, who's around you, none of it matters. God will impress upon all people trying to open their eyes and their conscience to turn upon him. That is the first way that God moves us to adulthood. He starts with the impression. Now, once you understand that you've been impressed by the Holy Spirit, the next level is to be implanted by the Spirit. And I love this aspect, particularly in the way that I'm going to describe it. This is the moment in which God says, I'm not going to poke you anymore, okay? I'm not going to impress you anymore. I'm not going to prod you anymore. I'm not going to prompt you anymore. Here's what God says. I'm going to live in you. I'm going to take your address and I'm going to make it my address. I'm going to come inside of you and no more poking, prompting. No, dude, I'm going to be in you. I'm going to live in you. I'm going to actually live inside of your body. And it's not promptings. It's not poking. It's not little impressions. It's not times when you go, hey, I wonder if I need to get right with God. None of that. It's God saying, I'm in you, man. I am in you as much as your heart and lungs and kidneys and everything else is you. I'm in you. The Bible talks about that in beautiful ways at times. Let me show you one verse that really shows it. Paul was writing to his friends in the Corinthian church and he said, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, watch this, who is in you, whom you've received from God? The word, the word temple is a word they would use in the Bible to describe your house, where you live, and particularly it was used for God. So where does God live? God lives in you. He becomes a part of your life. He's with you wherever you go and whatever you do. By the way, it's another sermon for another time, but this passage right here is in a greater context when Paul was talking to people about sexual immorality in their life. And that's what he was talking about in that chapter. And so this verse is right in the middle of it, and he says this to those who are sexually immoral. He says, do you not know that when you do those things, that the holiness of God himself is in you there at the moment when you do those things. God is there. And so the question would be, if I understand that as the work of the Holy Spirit, that he goes from prodding and prompting and impressing and all that to where he wants to get in me and live here, dude, my question is, Okay, when's that happen? How does that happen? The Bible has a beautiful way to describe it. Uh, John, 
records it for us when Jesus was teaching one time. And Jesus said this. He said, kind of the, kind of the spirit, if you think about the spirit, he's like the wind. He can do anything he wants, whenever he wants, and you can't control any of it. So if I were to ask the question, when does God make the decision? Now watch this. This is big. When does God make a decision? I'm not going to be pressing you anymore. Not gonna do Man, I'm coming in and living with you. When does God do that? Whenever he wants to do it. Am I right? Whenever he wants to do it. But we are told in Scripture that there is a norm. There is a normal method in which God takes up residence in our life. And it is found for us in the second chapter of book of the book of Acts, verse 38. Let's look at it and you'll see it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the norm of this is that once we decide that that's what we want in our life, that's what we need, the forgiveness of Christ. And we turn our life over to his control, and we are baptized. At the moment of immersion baptism, God takes his luggage, moves it into your body, and lives with you. And so if you're in this room right now, and you have been baptized by immersion, guess what? You got somebody else living in your home. And it's the Holy Spirit of God. So we've went from impressions where God just kind of wakes us up a little bit, rattles us a little bit, to where God says, man, I'm going to live in you. I'm going to reside with you. And when you start thinking about that, that becomes a different thing. Because now what we're talking about is where I go, he goes. What I say, he hears. What I do, he's next to me while I'm doing it. When I need help, he's already there. I don't got to call him. It's a different world. So according to the Bible, there's a lot of people in this room right now where God is living in you by the Holy Spirit. Now, so we've went the impression of how the Spirit works in our life, and then we've looked at the implanting of that, look at the last one, and that is the influ being influenced by the Spirit. Now, I want everybody to catch this. Hang with me. I know we've been in teaching mode, and we're going to apply it here in a little bit, but so stay with me. When I talk about being influenced by the Spirit, I want you to hear this, that the Bible talks about this far more than it talks about these two combined. This is the focus of the Word of God. And so what does that mean to be influenced by the Spirit? What it means is that the Spirit of God is inside of me, and now I'm giving him control to influence every aspect of my life. It describes a person who has been implanted with the Spirit, and now over time they surrender their life to God. They allow God to influence them in every single thing that they do in their life. 
And the Bible talks about that more than anything else that it talks about. And it uses all kinds of different ideas. Living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, pleasing the Spirit, displaying the fruit of the Spirit, using the gifts of the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. There's all kinds of places in the Bible that talk about if he's implanted his life in you, now allow him to influence you. And when you allow him to influence you, guess what happens? You slowly become an adult. That's the plan of God. That's how God will use the Holy Spirit to help people who are children spiritually who started their race and get them to where they are adults and finish the race. Well, how'd that happen? He impresses himself upon us. We surrender our life to him, and he implants his presence within us. And now for the rest of our life, we turn influence over to him. And the more and more we do that, the more we become adults. So let me show you some observations, and then I'm going to make some application of this, okay? So look at these observations. These are really important to say. Throw the first one up there. Watch this. When we are impressed by the Spirit... We are still in the womb of faith. You remember where I said, when you feel God working in your life, that doesn't mean everything's okay. It does not mean that. That just means God loves you. God is interested in you. You're still in the womb, okay? Now, let's move on. When we are implanted by the Spirit, we have become children of God. When you give your life to him and are baptized and he says, dude, I'm bringing my luggage because I'm taking your address. And he lives in you what has happened. Now you are a child of God. You're not still in the womb. You're active. You're alive. You are a child of God. But watch this. When we are influenced by the spirit, we grow into spiritual adulthood. That's how we become adults. We surrender to the authority of the Spirit of God in our life. I know this is deep for a Thursday, but hang with me. It's all going to make sense here in a minute, okay? So the more we allow the Spirit to influence our life, the more we get to adulthood. Now here's the final observation, and you got to catch this. This is everything I've said comes down to this right here. The likelihood of finishing is minimal unless we're living at the level of spirit influence. So this whole month, here's what I've been sharing. And I hope you've seen that it's come from my heart as a pastor. I want us as a church to rise above what has happened to us as a society of human beings. And that is, over the last several years, we become quitters, we become soft, we become weak. And I'm challenging our church to rise above that spiritually and saying, man, we're going to stay in the game. We're not going to quit. We're not going to backpedal. It's not going to be up with God today, down with God tomorrow. It's not going to be in the church this month, out of the church next month. No, man, we are staying in the race. We're going to go all the way to the end. And here's why. Because unless you get to the end, you don't finish. And the only way to finish is to become an adult. How do I become an adult? The influence of the Spirit of God. 
So once you understand that concept, which if you haven't fallen asleep, you understand it now. The question that is rattling in our mind, bouncing back and forth, if you care about this kind of stuff, how can I do that? How can I make that happen? And so we're all going to get in a car here in a little bit, and we're going to head on home, and, and I hope some of us are thinking about all that. Man, I don't know if I'm over to the influence side yet. I don't know if I've surrendered to him that he influences every part of my life. I don't know if I'm an adult yet. And if I don't become an adult, I'm not going to finish. How do I do that? I want to show you one way today. I want to show you one way because I think this one way is probably really important to God. It came up when the Apostle Paul, we talk about him all the time, when he was writing to a group of churches. His group of churches was in an area called Galatia. Think of it like a region, okay? And all these churches were in there, and Paul wrote them a letter so they could all read it. And when he got toward the end of that letter, you can almost see it in his writing that he's talking about, man, I got you, I gotta get you to be adults. I gotta get you to surrender to the influence of the Spirit. You're implanted by the Spirit, but you're not adults yet. I gotta get you there. And so he brings up Almost at the end of the letter. Think of when you're writing a letter or you're typing a letter on email or something and you're getting to the end of it. Here's where he's at. And he starts writing it and he brings up this idea of allowing the Spirit to influence your life. Here, here's how he wrote it in the fifth chapter. He said this. So I say, live by the Spirit. Be influenced by the Spirit. And the rest of his letter is how you do that, how you are influenced by the Spirit. And he's got all kinds of different ideas, but I'm going to leapfrog them all to the end of the letter. Now think about this. His letter's concluding, and he says, I want to throw one more thing at you, because if you do this, you will be influenced by the Spirit, you will become an adult, and you will finish. But you got to do this. Now, the reason that struck me, and I spent all this time to get right here, is because I thought through this, what do I want the last message to be that we talk about here? And I got to thinking about that. Well, how about I use the last thing that Paul said about it? And it will surprise you when I reveal it here in a minute. But he said, if you can do this, it's the last thing he mentioned. It takes care of all that. And so the question is, what is that? And it comes down to this one thing, and I'm going to read it for you. And what Paul talks about, the one thing, the last thing, is that you learn to live your life doing good things for other people. And, and you hear that and you go, what? I thought it was going to be pray for an hour and a half every day. 
I thought it was going to be memorize the Bible. I thought it was going to be give all my money to the kingdom of God. None of that. Paul said, here's the secret. Here's the difference between people who are just impressed, people who have just been implanted and said, that's all I want. The difference between those who are adults and influenced by the Spirit of God. They live their life for the purpose to do good for other people. It's that big of a deal to God. So look how he says it in the sixth chapter. Let's read it. It's about three verses. He said, don't be deceived. Okay? Don't be fooled about this. God cannot be mocked. You cannot do it your way. A man will reap what he sows. Let's move on. The one who sows to please his sinful nature. In other words, I'm going to please me. From that nature will reap destruction. You ain't going to finish. Go on. The one who sows to please the Spirit. What is that? To be influenced by the Spirit. From the Spirit will reap eternal life. You're going to finish. Let's move on. So let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Look how he keeps coming back to that. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. This is shocking. Because anybody who's read through this, you're now at the point where you're thinking, okay, I know how important it is to be influenced by the Spirit. If I'm not influenced, I don't become an adult, and I don't finish. Man, what do I got to do about that? And Paul says, Here's the idea. Just do nice things for other people. Wrap your life around the idea that you will do nice things for other people. You will watch for that. And when you do that, when you live that way, rather than, I wonder who's going to bless me today. wonder if my wife's going to be nice to me today. Whenever my boss is going to be off my back today, okay? How easy it is to be mocked and deceived that it's all about my pleasure. No, it's the pleasure of the Spirit. So what pleases him, do nice things for other people. Now, for me as a Bible student, that just kind of rattled me a little bit when I saw it in the text, and I wondered, why is that the big deal? Why did he pick that? It's kind of a... What moment for me in Scripture? And Paul doesn't really tell us why. He didn't say this is the one. I think the closest hint we have to it is one of the words where he talks about doing good things. The word good is the word the Greeks was used to describe something that is physically beautiful. So if you saw a person that was beautiful, if you saw a, a, a mountain scene, and man, that is beautiful, Paul said, do those things to people. And the idea is that as people who have the Spirit of God living within them do good things for other people, watch this. What do those people see? They see something 
beautiful in you. And God uses us. Watch this. Most of you aren't going to catch this. God uses us to attract people to what is within us so that that within us can impress them. And they start the process. Everybody see that? Anybody gets that? And so go do good things and be beautiful to people. And that way you're going to get to the end and they're probably going to get to the end and everybody's going to get to the end because you allowed the spirit to influence you that way. A number of years ago, um, we had something, some kind of special event that was happening in church. And I, I, I can't remember what it was. It was so long ago. It might have been Easter or it might have been something. But we wanted to get the word out uh, to the community that, hey, this is happening. We want you to come. And so as a church, you're thinking, how can you promote that? You know, do you send letters to everybody? This was before the days of, of the internet. And so, you know, how, how are we going to do that? Do we write advertisements and newspapers and on television? You know, how do you do that? What's the best way to do that? And somebody came up with an idea. I remember sitting in that meeting and somebody brought it up. Why don't we go out and do really cool things for people? Just do something nice for them. And, and they might just kind of, hey, what are you guys doing? And then we can talk to them. We said, man, what an idea. And so a bunch of people started choosing neighborhoods, and, and they would go through the neighborhoods, and they would mow people's lawns or rake their leaves. They'd just walk up to your house and just start cleaning everything up. And neighbors would come out, uh, what are you doing mowing my lawn? And you kind of introduced yourself, and hey, we'd love to come see that. And what, what those people, they saw something beautiful in you. And we were doing all these kinds of things. I remember one time, this is horrible. Um, we went to an intersection, a busy intersection, and we had, it was burning up hot. It was middle of the summer, and we had ice cold water bottles. And when you got caught by the red light, we'd run out and we'd give you an ice cold water bottle. And they were like, what are you doing? And we'd just, you know, tell them the love of God and invite you to something. And the, the way we got that was we had to, um, we had to win a contest against another place that was uh, raising change for homeless people. And so we beat them so we could have, something about that ain't even right, is it, huh? And, and we, we won that, and we served these people that water. And it was an opportunity for them to see something beautiful in us. Somebody come up with a great idea. They said, how about we find out if there's some gas stations that will let us come on their property, and when people come in and they get gas, we'll jump up to the car and we'll clean all their windows. And some of y'all remember when that actually happened, okay, years ago. And so we got this gas station, and we went there, and when cars came, we went over and we'd spray Windex and clean their windows, and they were like, what are you doing? And we'd tell them, and they were so happy, and thank you, and we'd invite them to church. And by being good, it was attracting people. 
So I'm, I'm sitting there at my post at one of the, one of the little islands of the Palm, and my sweet wife is on the island next to me, and we're busy, man. It was busy all day long. And I saw this car come flying in, man. <laughs> Went right to my pump, slammed on its brakes right there. It was a little Volkswagen Beetle, okay, if you remember those things. And it was, uh, it was one of those that had a wrap on it, which means it was advertising something, and the whole car was wrapped in it. And so it come flying in, and uh, came right to my, my uh, island, and it slammed on its brakes. It was bright orange, and it was decked out in the graphic of the uh, Hooters restaurant. Right to me. And the door opens, and a young lady gets out, <laughs> dressed for work. <laughs> Anybody with me on this? Okay. And so uh, I reach down to get my Windex and my paper towel, and I get up, and my wife has run over, and she's in front of me and says, I'll take care of this. <laughs> so what happens, what happens if you live your life that way? That's what Paul's saying. What would it be like if you, if you understand the dynamics of what we talked about, that God loves us so much, man, he wants us connected to him, he wants us to finish the race so that we can enjoy everything he's got for us. So how's it going to happen, man? Well, he's going to start impressing you, and then hopefully you're going to get to that point where he has implanted his life in you on your baptism, and now you're going to begin this long process of allowing his influence to turn you into an adult. And there's nothing that does that better than living your life in a way where you do good things for other people, especially those in the family of God. When we love each other, we all become adults. It's, it's interesting when I think through all that. Because over the last month, you've heard a thing or two, I hope, that maybe has inspired you to you know, stay on track, stay on the race, don't quit. I've been hearing a lot of people say, man, I'm there, I'm there, I'm, I'm not going to quit anymore. But here's the reality. You're going you're to have moments when you feel like you just need to slow down a little bit. And you'll backtrack a little bit. Everybody's going to go through that, including the one talking to you right now. And when you sense that happening, right then, do something good for somebody else and stop that slide. And that's where Satan mocks us. Because when we start to slide, we start to feel sorry for ourselves and we start thinking, well, other people aren't doing good things for me. Huh? We keep backing up. We get on pity party. Backing up, backing up, backing up. And Paul says the trick is to stop that slide immediately. How? Do I got to pray for like 24 hours? Do I have to fast till March? No. Go do something good for somebody else, and you will finish. Susan and I heard um, 
a couple days ago that Paula died. Uh, we met uh, we met Paula Hill. I thought through this. I thought, golly, it was forty years ago. It was the first time Susan and I, as a, as a young married couple, um, it was the first time that we moved away from our parents. So we'd always lived, you know, at home and in that area. And so we'd been married for a little bit and, and we had this opportunity to go serve at this church. And so we moved and it was our first time away. And we're just young kids. We don't know nothing. And, and, um, and that was eerie. It was really eerie. And when we moved and we got into this town, we met Paula. And I think probably we, we got to know her a little bit because um, she was about our age, and, and she was the same way. She had moved away, and she's kind of starting, and it probably was a little bit more intimidating for her because she was a single, lived her, lived her whole life as a single lady, and, and so it was about 40 years we got to meet her. And she was the lady in a, in a smaller church environment. She was the pianist, okay? Anybody remember people who are pianists? Remember that? Huh? We don't have pianists now. I don't know what those guys call themselves, but they're keyboardists, I guess. But you'd have a church service, and you'd have a piano person. And Paula played the piano for the church her whole life. She was the piano lady. She got involved with all the youth ministries, and she loved to kind of help middle school kids and high school kids, and she became kind of a sponsor and a leader for kids in that, in that church. And she did that her entire life. She worked at a, a, a school, the, the church there. Uh, we had our own school, and uh, she was a school teacher there, so she had a lot of kids that she taught. And then a few years later, she, she got a, a, a real desire to open up her own daycare, and she opened up her own daycare. And she had all this stuff going on and ministering to all these kids, and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids today who are all known as Paula's kids. And if you lived in that region of that area, everybody knew Paula. A few years ago, she contracted breast cancer and she started fighting that horrible disease. And um, we're, we're away from there now, so we just kind of talk with friends and hear how that went. And there were good days and bad days. And um, a few weeks ago, it became realistic that she was not going to recover from this. And so she lived alone, like she'd lived alone her whole, her whole life. And um, she was talking to uh, some friends of hers, uh, her church friends and her, her work friends at her Christian day. I mean, those were her family. And she was talking to a couple of them and, and said, I, I really, I just don't want to die alone at home. And I don't want to go to a nursing home. And so people heard that. And some things started happening. And some ladies in the church built a, a schedule where there would be shifts that people would sign up for and they would go to Paula's house and be with her so that Paul was never alone. And that, that happened from when the sun came up in the morning until late at night when she would fall deep into a sleep and then they would leave her alone and show up the next morning and they, they did that for two or three weeks so that Paula was never alone. When it came clear that it was probably getting toward the end and she said that she 
got scared at night once in a while. And so what do you think they did? They just expand the schedule. And they stayed with her every single minute, 24-7, until the day she hit the finish line and got a reward. And when Susan and I heard that, um, we weren't surprised because we know those people. And there was something in us thinking, man, I wish we would have known. We would have somehow figured out his shift. But what happened was the beauty of the verse that we hear from time to time from the psalmist. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are with me. And this sweet lady influenced by the Holy Spirit her whole life, had a group of other people influenced by the Spirit, and they picked her up and they carried her to the finish line, and God was there in a beautiful way through them. And not only does she get to the finish line, but everybody else gets a little bit closer. Why? Because they lived their life by doing good things for other people. And so Paul said this, do not grow weary doing that. You will become an adult and you will finish. Father, I thank you. Um, I thank you for the the opportunity we've had this month to talk about uh, some tough stuff. I, th- I think it was hard stuff. And I, I don't know how to thank you enough for a congregation that has sat on the edge of their seat to soak it in. How did I get that lucky to get the chance to stand here? But my prayer is that it sinks in and A year from now, um, if we're not in heaven, we're here. And five years from now, if we're not in heaven, we're here. Because of what we heard this month and what we learned from your word. And particularly today. May we wake up tomorrow morning with a new zeal. Who will I do something good for today? In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.